From the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org slash holiness. Hi, this is Vern Jewett, and this is the Holiness Podcast. Uh, for some of you who may be listening for the first time, uh, this podcast is a, a systematic uh, Bible study on a monthly basis, which looks at the incredibly pervasive and wonderful teaching of holiness in the Bible. Uh, we've had a wonderful time over the last uh, three years now uh, looking at various passages. We try to choose a text or a textual passage, and uh, often, probably most often, we do expository teaching. We're very mindful of the season, and we had a message uh, teaching last month on thankfulness and holiness. And I intimated it at the uh, goodbye at the end of the session that we would look in some way at uh, the Christmas event in the context of our, uh, uh, of our doctrine of holiness. And so we're going to do that today. And I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Psalm 118. Now, the beginning point and actually the focal point of our study as you're finding a Psalm 118 is Jesus and his coming, of course. And in the book of Matthew, the story of the angel coming to Joseph as Joseph was wrestling with the impending birth of Jesus and was considering more than one option given the circumstance that he had not been with Mary and yet she was pregnant. And an angel appeared to him. And after explaining several things to Joseph in Matthew 1.21, the angel says this, And you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Holiness, I want to remind you, as the second context, we've uh, learned over the years that holiness is all about personal relationships. And the coming of Jesus brought in the new covenant, which allowed those who would believe in him to be saved, to have their sins forgiven, and to enter into a personal relationship with God in a way that was unknown before that time, throughout the whole uh, history of the Old Testament. And, of course, we have uh, focused many times on the fact that that new covenant is not written in tablets of stone, as the prophet said, but is written on our hearts. 
So Jesus coming to save his people from their sins and holiness as a personal relationship with God written on our hearts, on the hearts of those who would believe, are the two contexts in which we will be looking at Psalm 118. I'm reminded, as uh, you've probably already noticed, that the birth of Jesus is intimately tied with the purpose of his coming, that is the salvation. And so the the wonderful carols at Christmas time often bring that into our uh, attention. I think of these words, which you will recognize from O Little Town of Bethlehem, verses 3 and the first part of verse 4. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given, so God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where weak souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. So when we celebrate the coming of Christ and the birth of Christ, we're still reminded of the fact that he comes into our hearts and he comes for the purpose of saving our sins. And so the fourth verse says, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend on us, we pray, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. So the relationship is intimate, built in, in the gospel story and the marvelous plan of salvation between the birth of Jesus and our being uh, brought into close relationship with God. We're going to use these verses of this uh, wonderful psalm to make some reflections on the reminder of his goodness and loving kindness I would call this teaching the fountain of holiness because I believe it is the incredible experience of God's loving kindness. We're going to look at an Old Testament word, hesed, as a major portion of our study, which is the holiness of God expressed. And uh, in the first four verses we get a sense of what the purpose of this psalm is all about. I'll probably mention that later, but this was one of two psalms that were normally sung at the Passover, which means that it would have been sung at the Passover meal, the Last Supper, just before the death of the Word of God uh, would come in just a couple of days. But look at verses 1 to 4. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. Now, according to Dr. John Oswalt, 
my Old Testament professor, a wonderful uh, Old Testament teacher and scholar. Uh, this is the Messiah speaking. This is a messianic psalm, and we will see that as we move through it. But Dr. Oswald loves to call attention to the word that's translated love. The theme is his love endures forever. God is good. And the word love is going to take a little bit of our attention for a few moments. This is a word not known to any other Semitic language, which is rather unusual. Most certainly many of the key words in Hebrew found in the Old Testament have their correspond, corresponding uh, words in the Semitic languages, in Arabic or Aramaic or any of the other six or seven uh, Mideast languages. But this word, used 250 times in the Old Testament, most of them describing God, is not found anywhere as of this moment. We have no record of this word existing anywhere except in Old Testament Hebrew. Now, it's translated love, and that's okay. That's not wrong, but it's just not big enough. This word is so big that there's no single word or even two or three words that can fully describe it. It's translated in various places and translations as grace, love, mercy, kindness, loving kindness, unfailing love. Dr. Oswald says you really need a sentence to describe the meaning of hesed, which is the subject and the key word for Psalm 118. This is the sentence he proposes as its meaning. Hesed is the passionate underlying devotion of a superior for an inferior, especially when they are undeserving. Wow, what a remarkable word. Certainly, the Old Testament Hebrews were undeserving, but nevertheless, God's Hesed endures forever and was always present. Let me give you just a few examples before we uh, uh, dig into the textual uh, psalm. <clears throat> Exodus 34, 6 and 7, which is incidentally the most quoted two verses in the Old Testament by the Old Testament. Mount Sinai, in Mount Sinai, uh, he sent his glory to pass Moses, and then he makes this remarkable proclamation, proclaiming his name. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God is slow to anger and abounding in hesed, steadfast love and faithfulness. In Nehemiah, the Israelites were refusing to listen, failed to remember the miracles that they performed, and they became stiff-necked in their rebellion. 
And Nehemiah 9.17 says, But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in hesed. The prophet Hosea 6.6, For I desire hesed, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. This is a very rich and wonderful word that we encounter. In fact, uh, it's clear that hesed is rooted in the personality and makeup of God himself. It is he who is mercy, loving, kind, uh, loving and kind, and uh, filled with, with love and, and goodness. Hesed is the holiness of God exposed and expressed. It's a richly textured word to be sure. I love the use of it in probably the favorite psalm of most people, Psalm 23. Surely his goodness and hesed will follow me all the days of my life. The meaning of the word follow there is to be pursued. We are pursued by the hesed of the Lord. Not by the enemies that he had mentioned earlier in the psalm. They're ever present for sure. And the picture of God preparing a table in their midst is poignant and powerful in verse 5. But to be pursued by his loving kindness is the zenith of the psalm as it dominates the final verse and the assurance that comes with it. Earlier, uh, or later in Psalm 63:3, thy loving kindness is better than life. And we sing a chorus with those words. A.W. Tozer, that great teacher of holiness, said that the entire history of Yahweh's covenantal relationship with Israel can be summarized in terms of hesed. Well, that's wonderful news for you and me because of that meaning of hesed, the passionate, undying devotion of God for us who indeed are undeserving. Now, there will be times in our lives as believers that we'll fail. There certainly will be times when we are unaware of God's activity. You see, there'll be times when God is working in our life, but we're unaware of it. Perhaps God is silent to us. But you see, when he speaks, it's done. So when he says that his hesed endures forever, it means that he never fails to relentlessly pursue you and me in love and mercy and kindness. He is always there at any moment in every circumstance. When the darkness of suffering, disappointment, brings confusion to your heart, when you question even his existence, he is still there, passionately pursuing you in love and kindness. Look with me down at verse 7. The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. 
Dr. Oswald suggests that that's a good translation, the Lord is with me, but even better in the context, according to him, is that God is for me. Now, that is an incredible thought and one that I want to ponder about for just a moment. Jesus, because of God's hesed, loving kindness, is for me. And that's why he has come to save me. I want to tell you a story from Christmas Eve, 1982. We were stationed as uh, the pastors and uh, Salvation Army officers in Columbus, Georgia. And unlike this year, uh, but like most years, Christmas was on a weekday. And Christmas Eve meant that all of the activity of uh, not only our church, but the outreach of the Salvation Army in that community at Christmas time had finally come to an end. Hundreds and hundreds of families had been assisted. Uh, the celebration of Christmas in the community and in the church had uh, just been a wonderful time. It exhausted all of us, and I found myself in the rather large Salvation Army headquarters building all alone. And I was in my office, it was about 9 o'clock p.m., and I knew that I'd come to the point where I could finally look forward to celebrating Christmas the next day with my family. When I heard a knock on the front door, it was the front door of the church, and my office was nearby. Obviously, the light in my office shone through, and someone was knocking steadily on the front door. I have to honestly say to you, I was so weary, I did not want to go answer that door. But something moved inside me, and I went and opened the front door of the Salvation Army Church. And there was a man standing there who began to talk to me. He was obviously inebriated and uh, began to tell me his story. And uh, it was pretty cool outside. And so I invited him inside and we stood in the lobby. And I heard the story from this man who had been raised in that particular church along with others. He was from a very uh, prominent family in the Salvation Army denomination, and uh, he looked just a few feet from us at the door of the chapel, and he said, Captain, he said, I used to be sitting in the band playing euphonium every Sunday when we worshiped here. And he said, uh, as uh, he began to cry, actually, at that point, and said that he had not been here in a long time and had lost his relationship with the Lord. So we went inside the chapel and walked up to the front and sat in the front row. And after telling me his story, I invited him to kneel with me, and uh, we knelt at the mercy seat, the altar, that is there 
in the front of the church, and we prayed together. And as we prayed and cried together, and I reminded him of God's love and faithfulness to him, he seemed to regain a little bit of clarity and a little bit of peace about his relationship with God. Although he felt like he was a great disappointment and knew that his life was pretty much a mess in many ways, he was uh, encouraged as we talked about God's unfailing love for him, even in his terrible struggles. That was the only time I met Reggie. I wound up taking him home, helping him uh, maneuver an outside two-story set of stairs and getting him safely into his apartment. Uh, we planned to meet again, but that was the only time I met him. I stopped by his home a couple weeks later and uh, he had moved. But the power of the relentless pursuit and loving kindness of God is the fountain of God's holiness. It is the power that sustains us. I want you to look with me at Psalm 118, verses 17 and 18. Here there's no doubt about uh, the fact that this is a, a messianic psalm. It starts there in verse 17 where it reads, I, I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. This is a preview of Jesus' resurrection. He has saved me, he is saving me, and he will save me. You see, we live in victory. I will not die but live, the, the psalm writer says. Jesus saves me now. We live in victory because death has been conquered. Give thanks to the Lord, the first verse said, for he is good, his love endures forever. Forever, because Jesus in his coming not only brings salvation, but conquers death. I love the verses of O Holy Night. I think uh, the favorite Christmas carol of many people Listen to the first verse in the context of uh, verses 17 and 18. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And listen to what comes with Jesus' birth. A thrill of hope, 
the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. O oh, hear the angel voices, O oh, night divine, O oh, night when Christ was born. Death has been defeated by the coming of Christ. Look with me down at verses, at verse 22. You may recognize the words, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or the cornerstone. Matthew 21, 42 Jesus quotes this and applied it to himself. Look at verse 24. <laughs> we sing this often, don't we? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And look with me at verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. Now that is an amazing part of the coming of Jesus and the story. Those were the words used when Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday riding on a donkey. Remember the crowds? What did they say? Hosanna, which means, O oh, save us. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Quoting Psalm 118. Common Christian theme in the church is that the manger and the cross cannot be separated. Listen to the words from the hymn by William Dix, What Child Is This? This is verse 2. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christian fear, for sinners hear the silent word is pleading. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Yes, the salvation that Jesus brought is the theme of his coming. Finally, let me ask us a question. How do I know that his hesed endures forever? Well, it is because he is victorious. It is because he has saved us. Jesus in the early church came to the same challenge in trying to describe the hesed of God the love of God, the loving kindness, this rich word that speaks of God's passion about reaching out and being for us. And they chose a word for love that was an obscure, seldom used word in the Greek language. Many of you will know the words for love in the New Testament, three words that were often used one, storgase, which is a familiar kind of love, a familial love, mother loving her children, a brother loving a sister. 
The second word was phileo, which literally means brotherly love among friends uh, beyond family. And then the word eros, which is not exactly as we've corrupted it uh, to have such a sexual content, but speaks at its root about being, uh, it's a very needy kind of love that satisfies our own desires. None of those words could possibly be used to speak about hesed love. And so they chose a word seldom found in the world at that time. Uh, it was the word agape. And the Jesus in the early church said, we can fill that word <laughs> with the content of God's love for us. You see, agape love is hesed love. And the grace of God is the hesed of God. We have seen God, they said, full of grace and truth. And it's interesting that the word most often used along with agape is the word for truth. And so we come to the question of how do we respond, you and I, to the coming of Christ? The simple truth is, if you've lived very long and if you've been a pastor for a long time, as I have, you know that Reggie is representative of the struggles of millions of us. Maybe not so severe or stark. But, you know, sitting in our pews and living in our neighborhoods are millions of people who are hurting and struggling in their own way. This is the season when the message is, and you will give him the name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. I want to share the words of one final carol with you. I know this has been a bit more of a Christmas meditation with some Bible study as part of it. I want to share with you words from Christina Rossetti's carol written around the turn of the century between 18 and 1900. It's called uh, Midwinter, and verse 3 answers the question, what is our response to the hesed love of God and the fact that Jesus has come to save his people from their sins? The last verse is very simple and very poignant. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet, what can I give him? Give him my heart. I encourage you to respond to this Christmas 
Yes, with the joy of the season. Yes, with the delight of family. But also in response to that pursuit of God, that unrelenting, passionate devotion that he shows to us because he is for us, not against us. And we all, probably most of us now, we all at some times are in the place where we are carrying burdens that he wants to lift. And his salvation is complete. Part of the message of this psalm points to the fact that he saved us, he is saving us, and he will save us. Because his love, his hesed, endures forever. I pray you'll have a wonderful Christmas season and that the presence of Jesus who truly is the fountain of holiness in his relationship with us. The presence of Jesus will make this Christmas one that will fulfill all our needs, all our desires, will fill us with joy and thankfulness, and will help us to be faithful in telling the story. I think of one final carol. It's just too appropriate to not use. Listen to the words. While shepherds, the first two verses are about shepherds. Do you know the shepherds are probably the most prominent people in all of the Christmas carols? But listen to the first two so that you can be ready for verse three. While shepherds kept their watching or silent flocks by night, Behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. The shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. Down in a lowly manger our humble Christ was born, and God sent us salvation, that blessed Christmas mourn. So, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Again, a wonderful Merry Christmas holiday season and Happy New Year to you. And we will look forward to renewing our study on holiness in the Bible in January. May God bless you, and we'll see you uh, when we return then. Thanks so much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at SalvationArmySoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend they can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts.